Hey there, this is Dennis Anyone with Dennis Hensley, a podcast about making things up and making things happen. I talk to creative people and other people about how they do their thing and live their life and all the rest of it. Is that all-encompassing enough? Um, today we're going to do a little special podcast where we talk about movies from last year of 2015 with my friend Glenn Gaylord, who I go to a lot of movies with. And we both have these year-end movie lists that we like to compile, so we're going to talk about that. But first, um, I want to thank everyone who visits DennisAnyone.net. There's fun stuff there, um, p- pictures that go with some of the podcasts. There's also a, um, a button there where you can donate to my virtual tip jar and uh, help me keep the podcast free and pay for the little expenses that come up. And I always appreciate that when listeners do that. Um, that's it for this. So let's, without any further ado, here's Glenn Gaylord, and I'm not even editing. He's here when I did the lead. That's the first time I've done the intro in front of the person. It feels so raw and live. I, I know. It's just like, it's happening. It's totally happening. OMG. Now, you write um, about movie reviews uh, on a blog called Glenn on Film. Yes, sir. How do you? How can people find Glenn on Film? Is Glenn, it GlennOnFilm.com or is it? Well, if you typed in Glenn on Film Tumblr, you'll find it. Otherwise, Tumblr. it's yes. Glenn Gaylord. Glenn with two N's, all one word. So GlennGaylord.tumblrblr.com. Okay, another way to find it. Awesome. And you you write really terrific movie reviews. But one thing that you do every year, instead of doing like a ten best list, you do moments out of time where you just pick cool moments from the, the year's movies that have stayed with you. That are sort of cinematic and your favorite moments. moments. How would you describe moments out of time? Well, moments out of time are moments, uh, a shot from a film, a line of dialogue, right. a sequence, whatever really stuck with me. It could be from a terrible film, but there was right. a moment in there that I found incredibly moving or of value. Uh, and so this is kind of carrying on in the tradition of Film Comment magazine. I grew up. I used Salivated. to read that a little yeah. bit I, when I, I was very smarty pants. I looked forward to that moments out of time issue every year. And I couldn't wait. And these were films that weren't available to me in my small, Youngstown, right. Ohio town. But it got me interested in film and how to view it. You know, not just the quality films, but like even a terrible movie might have some merit. Yeah. And I would always look for those moments. That's really cool. Do you remember moments that you remember reading about in Moments Out of Time and then seeing the movies later? There are a lot of Bergman films. Yeah. And of I remember course. reading them going. They were nuts about Hope and Glory film comment, right? <laughs> well, that wasn't a Bergman film. Oh, what, what am I thinking of? <laughs> Who's that? Bergman. Uh, Hope and Glory was uh, uh, John Borman. Okay. And uh, he, who did Exorcist What was the too. Bergman one that was... Well, there was Cries and Whispers. Uh, Anyways, which they just yeah. went crazy over it. And they would, that film would never come to Youngstown, Ohio. Right. But it was something that I thought, okay, when I move out to California and go to film school, I bet they're going to show us that right. film. And they did. I love that. Now, I do a list, sometimes I've been doing it for a few years, where I, I call it the Unsung Ten... And these were movies that I had a great time at the cinema seeing that are not on any Oscar list, not on any, you know, year-end critics list. Some of them are campy. Some of them are just entertaining, but they're not, like, critic darlings. And some of them are just, like, movies that got the short shift somehow. Well, I've, I got, think I've got three to add to it if Do they, if okay, they don't match up with yours. Yeah. So what if we did... How bad would it... Train wrecky would it be if we did one from your list, one from my list, and went back and forth? I don't be? know if I have ten, but we could give it a call. Then I'll try. start. I'll start with my and I and uh, a ten um, unsung ten movies. Sure. And then you can do one of your moments at a time. Okay. The first movie I think I saw in a movie theater last year was The Boy Next Door, starring Jennifer Lopez and uh, Hottie McCotterson with uh, I can't remember his name. What's his name? 
Uh, Ryan Guzman. 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 Yes. And Christian Chenoweth was in it. And that movie, first of all, the commercial was like, I like your mother's cookies. Because Jennifer Lopez has an affair with the boy next door who's like, I don't know. I don't think he's a teenager, but he's inappropriately young. Or maybe he's a teacher in her college class. I don't remember. All I know is that I had so much fun at that movie because it knew what it was. It knew it was campy and goofy and and hacky and whatever. But it got, it was really good at being those things. And, and, you know, it's the only movie that I know of where Kristen Chenoweth gets called a cunt. I mean... We don't have enough of those. Well, you can't have enough of them. <laughs> That's an amazing thing. And but, but not only that that happened, but that she was okay with it happening because everyone knew what the movie was. And, and it was and because ridiculous. nobody thinks of her as that, ever. Well, uh, not that I know of. I mean, I'm not t- <laughs> tapped into the Broadway scene. She seems pretty well loved. I know she's no Leah Michelle. Um, but, and also, there was a hot sex scene in it that was really hot. Hotter than Carol. I'm, not, I'm just going to come out and say it. It was it had a hotter sex scene than Carol. I didn't, think, Car- I didn't think Carol's sex scene was hot. Well, it wasn't hot. No. It, not that it was meant to be hot, but it wasn't anything to me. No, that I sex mean, scene didn't do anything to me. Carol did not motorboat Rooney Mara's breasts. No. She kind of like, maybe it was like hand oared. Yeah. I am not, I liked Carol, and I, I know there are people that love it. I love the movie. But it, it, the, this, my favorite scene in it was, and if you haven't seen it, oh well, was when Kate Blanchett was talking to the lawyers and saying, um, you know, I, we won't get ugly or whatever. Like, the most powerful scene in a love story was a scene with one of them talking to a lawyer, for me. <laughs> I, I think that's interesting. Yeah. I thought um, the scenes with Kyle Chandler were the most powerful, but yeah. there you have it. But I, I guess, guess I, I mean, their love story, sure. there, it wasn't like Brooklyn, where... Um, Every time, what's her face? I can't say her name. Sure, she Ronan was with uh, Emery Cohen. Yeah, I, I believed in love. I was like, oh, love is something that exists in the world. I thought their love story was so it's beautiful. It's the most beautiful, mushy. I cried through the entire movie love story. It's so, but you believe you want them to be together so badly. Talk yeah. about chemistry. I want to call them up right now and do like a yeah. after the final rose with them. I know and see how it worked yeah. out. It, it was, in fact, it was so beautiful that you just felt like it was doomed. Like you felt like, oh, he's gonna fuck her over, or he he can't be that cute and that sincere. No, he's gonna look at her with puppy dog eyes for the for rest the of their rest life. of their life. It it makes you believe that. Yeah. Um, did you see the boy next door? I have not had the benefit. I'm yet. telling you, I want to have a party because it, it was—it just was everything you wanted it to be. And we, there was a young girl in it that played like his um, love interest from high school or whatever. She had like a few scenes, and she was actually in the theater when we saw it with a bunch of her friends. And the whole audience was hooting and hollering like it was Showgirls at Midnight in 1996. <laughs> and afterwards, I got a picture with her, and she said there wasn't a big premiere. I guess they didn't want to spend the money or they, I don't know. But I felt like, I felt bad that she didn't have her party. Well, but she kind of did have her party at the uh, Arclight let's on put it this the way. Sunday after opening. J-Lo knew what movie she was in. Yes. And the studio knew what movie they had. I love, exactly. And I love J-Lo. A, because I can't, I love to look at her. She's like looking at the sun. I think she's so ravishing. I love beautiful. everything about her. I love everything. And when she comes out on American Idol, you're like, Oh my God, it's J-Lo. And I also love that she's like, yeah, I'll do an NBC series. Uh, Yeah, I'll go to Vegas. Like, she doesn't... 
she doesn't there's things where you're like oh that's not good for your career that's not good for your career and she sort of like upends some of that stuff she's gene hackman she's michael kane she's Whoopi goldberg just say yes she's a just say, just yes say anything to avoid staying home with those kids <laughs> <laughs> you know, that's no that's she's dark, a one, she's a wonderful mother but i mean <laughs> she works and works and works and that's what i love about her okay that's my um so that's your boy next unsung. door i delivered okay. on all on all the ways you wanted to deliver so the best time i had in a movie all last year and yes it was released last year but it was actually sitting on a shelf for a while and this might be controversial, but uh, The Green Inferno by Eli Roth. I did and not see that He's movie. our hostile director. Yes, he does like the, the torture porn movies. Torture porn, right. Right, okay. And The Green Inferno offended many. Uh, it takes place in the Amazon, and they used real um, tribes uh, in the film who had never seen a movie before, and they play these horrendous cannibals. And which... I bet they weren't getting paid very much. <laughs> Um, and uh, they, they might have, have horrible age. They probably got minimum plus ten. Come okay, on. all and, right. Uh, and so they have points on the back end. <laughs> and uh, you know, and it's a group of bleeding hearts who go to the jungle to save the jungle. Right. And they're just in over their heads, and they encounter you know the, this this militia who wants them dead, and so they end up getting put. You know, saved by this tribe, but what they don't realize is the tribe just wants to eat them alive. I kind of love that setup because. Like, I just heard about this cruise that you can go on, which is like a, a cruise line through, a, uh, it, it's a Sister of Princess, the ship that I was just on or whatever. But you can go and you're on a cruise by day and then you do Habitat for Humanity by day and then you're on the cruise at night or whatever. But I kind of love, those characters, I would kind of love to see them eaten. Yes. Sort you, of hipster. They, you want um, them dead because they tweet too much. Yes. And, uh, they, uh, I'm on board. And, and, you know, take the politics out of it. Take the stereotyping out of the film because both of those are issues right. that you'll have with this. Structurally, this movie delivers act to act to act. It's just one of those great unfolding stories that the people I saw it with, we just kept looking at each other going, this is the most fun I've had in a movie in so long. It's just a blast to watch them being torn apart. And, you know, they make bad decisions and they pay for it. Was there a moment in it that, that made your moments out of time? Or are you just, well, are you, this yes. was a detour into your, well, I'm just this kind is of, your boy next door. Yeah, this is okay. my boy next door. And I have a few, so I think I can but play with you with this. There are but, movies where you, you're having such a good time in the theater but you know it's never going to be, you know, an Oscar movie or taught in a film class 20 years It won't now. even get a Razzie nomination. But you're having a ball. Yeah. And this one, the moment of time, was the head tribes person who is this woman who very much resembles the bastard child of Nicki Minaj and Auntie Entity from Mad Max Beyond Thunderdome, okay. Tina Turner's part. And when she eats one of the characters, she savors it, and her eyes roll back into her head, and everybody's looking to her for, like, what the gratitude is or what happens, you know, from eating this person, and everyone is just in awe of her. And she's just a lip-smacking cannibal, unapologetic, and right. it's, it's awesome. What part did she eat? Do you see her eat the whole thing, or is it like, oh, that's clearly a leg? Well, they they, they kind of like disembowel people, and they okay. rip their chests open and just grab organs. And it's and the Green Inferno. The Green Inferno. All right. Now, do you want to do another moment at a time now, or should I go no, back No, no, go my... back to yours. I can okay. play with you with this, and then we'll do some moments at okay, a time. Okay, I after. like that. All right. Okay. Um, number Another one on my moments, or my unsung ten, While We're Young. I saw it twice early in the year. Great film. It's Naomi Watts, Ben Stiller, Adam Driver, Amanda Seyfried. And it's a very much a comedy of manners. It's about this 40-something couple who becomes friends with this hipster couple and tries to sort of be like them. And like 
you know, they're they're intoxicated with their youth and their coolness and the things that they do, and it's there. It's like a midlife crisis kind of dynamic. But I, Naomi Watts has this line early on where she's like, "It's like they took all the sh- shit we threw away, and but it looks so much better in their apartment or something like that." And it does. <laughs> and it does, you know. <laughs> and I just thought it was so well observed. And there's so many funny lines and observations that just go by really fast. I saw it twice, um, you know, within yeah. a few weeks, and I just thought it was funny and sharp and um, really satisfying. Yeah, I mean, Noah Baumbach is on fire. I love his films. Right. This came out early in 2015. It really is unsung. And it also made my moments out of time for just the idea in the film. It's not really a line or a shot or anything that the hipster characters don't want to Google anything. They want to remember things analog and not have to look them up because we're all obsessed with Googling everything anymore, right? Right. And it made them endearing to me, even though it feels kind of hipstery. And Right. But I kind of like that. Just like they're listening to everything on vinyl. Yeah. And so we're, I'm actually trying to incorporate that back into my life. Yeah. Don't Google something so fast. See if you recall it. See if your brain cells are still there. Right. That's and, a good thing. So that stayed with you. Yeah, it did. What I thought was really well observed about it is Adam's driver's character does something that seems kind of shady and opportunistic, uh, a little sellouty. But I think the, what the film nailed for me was that like those things that 20 years ago we would have thought were, um, selling out or bad form or unartistic are par for the course today. And they're how you survive. It's, you know, like you look at musicians today, it's like there was a time when a, a band wouldn't let uh, one of their songs be in a commercial. Now it's like, you better hope for that because you're not selling any records. Like, you better be on Twitter because that's how, like all the that kind of crass stuff, it's how you get by today. So yeah. his character was just trying to do, he's trying to, you could either, if you, you could keep your integrity and literally starve to death. Like, you... And selling out isn't what it used to be, is well, my he's, point. Well, he's practical. I wouldn't let him off the hook that easily. He's still kind of villainous to me. Yeah, it's he still a little over, bit gross. Yeah, and he takes over Ben Stiller's life and usurps him with his stepfather's right. relationship. Uh, and he's doing whatever he can to get ahead. You know, yes. Adam Driver's character would eat his own mother to get ahead, it feels. And so I don't laud him, but I understand him. And that is actually something that Noah Baumbach does really well in that right. film is make you understand him. I feel like we're Gene Siskel and Roger Ebert. Which I feel like, like the, <laughs> I don't know. They're both dead. Dennis. I know. But I, <laughs> I love the movie Roger Ebert, by the way. And what I, the take, my favorite thing about it, one of my favorite things about it is the, they would show them doing the um, teaser commercials for the, they'd have to film. And Roger would get so impatient with Gene And yet Gene was better at that than Roger was in terms of just like coming up on the next at the movies or whatever it was that they would show those um, outtakes of that. And Roger was so pissed at Gene and Gene was more talented at that. Well, you're clearly Gene because you're better at that. Oh, well, there you go. Well, I'm (laughs) I'm just uh, stuck a microphone in a laptop a lot more times than you. But what I but what I think the film also said is that if Adam Driver did play by all the rules of integrity, good fucking luck. Yeah. It's too tough. Yeah. Um, He's just making his own YouTube videos then. Exactly. And, and, and I hope you have a rich, I hope you have a benefactor. I hope you have somebody that can pay for you to eat. Well, he clearly okay. does now. Um, did you have a moment out of time from that? Well, that was the moment oh, out of yeah, time, yeah. the Googling, yeah. Yeah, but that's so cool. All right. Um, I'm going to skip this one and come back to it. Um, sleeping with other people, 
Did you see that in romantic I comedy? I didn't, but... I, it was Jason Sudeikis and Alison Brie, and I just thought it was a really fresh romantic comedy. Uh, that, because they, they don't make romantic comedies very much anymore. Um, and I really enjoyed it. I can't tell you one thing about it except that I liked it. Um, in fact, I forgot who Alison Brie was until I Googled it. I had to Google it. But, um, I did. She was on Mad Men. Yes. I, but I forgot she was in it. I forgot who the female lead was. I was like, oh, it's what's her face. But I do, <laughs> I liked it very much, but I can't remember anything about it. <laughs> so, okay. run out and see that. My but no, it's one. good for a plane. It's the, the Unsung Ten are good for a plane. They're good for, um, you know, a Netflix and chill afternoon. Yeah. They're good. They're on cruise ships. I just got one off of one. They have a bunch of movies that you can watch in your room. Uh, yeah, I like a good discovery. Yes. Um, my next Unsung film would be Guidance. Now, I don't know about that movie. So Guidance, I didn't review it because I saw it at Outfest last summer, uh, but it did come out in theaters, so actually I'm remiss in not okay. reviewing it. But uh, um, Pat Mills is the writer, director, and star of this Canadian comedy that I think is a great successor to um, Alexander Payne's election. Okay. Uh, it's smart, it's incisive, it's dark and bitter. It's basically kind of the premise of something like um, Bad Santa, only okay. it's a bad guidance counselor. Okay. And so this is a guy who's really messed up, an actor who's not getting any roles, and he decides to fake his way into becoming a high school guidance counselor. Right. Even though he is... A terrible influence on people. The worst person you could ever put in that position. And yet, of course, he grows into it and has his own way of helping kids. Right. Um, while kind of improving himself. But it's, it doesn't ever get mushy. It's basically this really messed up guy, you know, doing the wrong thing. Doing, being and, horrible. And his performance is acerbic and it's strong and the direction is strong. It looks really great. And it's got great energy to it. And... Uh, He's just such an off-the-wall, strange character that I've never seen before in a film. Now, if it was at Outfest, what's, is his character gay? Yes. Okay. And it's uh, uh, just an unsung film that came and went in theaters and deserves a second look. I believe yeah. it's on Netflix now. Oh, that's cool. All right. That's cool. Um, I liked Truth more than most people. More than me, that's for sure. Yeah, the Cate Blanchett, Robert Redford... Movie, I liked it. She she played the sixty minutes producer that was doing the piece on George W. Bush's military history that brought down Dan Rather. Um, it was clearly from her point of view. It's based on her book, so it's going to be kind of. Uh, and it was a little. Um, I think it was a first time director, and I think it had some of that stuff going on. But I like movies about journalists, and I like. Um, I liked Redford seemed like Dan Rather to me. Even though he didn't look like him, he, he did. looked he like Dan. Him. He didn't look like Dan Rather. He looked like Robert Redford. And the way he talked, I was like, "Oh fuck, that's Dan Rather." Yeah. And I think if the movie had been better, if better, better received, if more people liked it, like that, his performance would have gotten uh, more attention. I think it was a little like that he was sort of revered in it, and I think people felt like it wasn't very even-handed. But I, just, I enjoyed watching it. I found it unsubtle. I thought it was just a lot of speechifying. Yeah. But I liked Kate Blanchett a lot in it. When yeah. She has the phone call with her father telling him to just stop harassing her. Yeah. And that that was very moving. I thought that had so much good in it. Yet I just would have 
dialed down a lot of the speeches. I, I think I didn't mind the speeches because I liked what they were saying. Because I, I guess I agreed with it. Or, you know, I think it's, it's a political movie. And, and we need that. We need yeah. that type of shouting right now because yeah. there's too much complacency. Yeah. And so I, I like that it exists. Um, there was a, kind of a moment out of time from that movie for me, which was, it's more of a take home that who knew that Dan Rather flew coach? I know. And, he flew coach. I looked it up afterwards and he did. He flew coach. Yeah. Yeah, it's interesting. Um, but I and, and then who Topher Grace was in it. Matt, Elizabeth Topher Matt, Grace yelled a lot. He yelled a lot. Elizabeth Moss was in it. She had nothing to do. Zero, and that was disappointing. You felt like there might have been some scenes cut or whatever. Yeah, but, and, um, and we're all uh, you know we all lose out on that. Yeah, it's it's I, I enjoyed watching it. Um, okay, so my next one is another film that I saw at Outfest that eventually came out in theaters. Okay, uh, called Nasty Baby. I saw that movie with Kristen Wiig. Right, Kristen Wiig. Um, and it's uh, ostensibly seems like one of these gay-themed films about a gay guy and his boyfriend who want to have a child, so they go to their BFF, Kristen right. Wiig, and want to have this baby. And you kind of feel like you're watching this romantic comedy that you've seen before, yet there are little things on the edges of the story that keep happening that suggest something dark is amiss. Yeah. And you, you know, like, something is going to happen, and it does, and it boils over, and it turns out to be really a film about evil hipsters who are yeah. awful people that you've been following around who do terrible things. And it, it's this third act, 11th hour surprise that I loved where it turned, and you realize... Oh, these are the people I'm revering. Okay, this is right. now it made it more interesting. It almost makes you want to see it again just to watch how they are early on and see how you feel. It was a polarizing film, but yeah, I liked it too. I felt it said like it said something about how we live now. It felt very now, very contemporary. Yeah, and I thought it was very well done and just yeah. really the, the 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 little things on the edges of the film really did creep up on you. And by that time, it earned its craziness. I thought. And I love Kristen Wiig's career. I love her choices. I love that she's not about the the big paycheck every time. Yeah, I think I mean, she must be really frustrating to her agents and managers, where she's like, "I'm going to go do this little gay thing. I know they want bridesmaids too, but it's not going to fucking happen." Um, she's in Ghostbusters. They're yeah. just fine. Yeah, no, that's uh, the thing. But you, <laughs> but you know, like, I bet they have those conversations. Unless early on, she's like, "Look, I'm just going to do what I want." Oh, I think she's in the hot seat. I mean, she gets to actually, not the hot seat, the power seat. Yeah. She gets to just say, this is how I want my career to go, and it's just okay with everybody else. And she's doing really cool stuff. She's like, amazing. Welcome to Me was another yeah. uh, interesting Terrific. Movie. I didn't get to see Diary of a Teenage Girl, which I heard was awesome I as well. really liked it. Yeah. Yeah, it was really good. It, that should be on my Unsung 10. All right, uh, um, next for you. And Kristen Wiig, she did Full Frontal Nudity in Welcome to Me. She just walked naked through a casino. Who hasn't? I mean, come on. Um, there was a movie called Miss You Already with Tony Collette and Drew Barrymore that I saw in Palm Springs. It was out for a hot minute, and it's basically beaches in England. You know, it's a cancer movie. So Brighton Beaches. Brighton Beaches. <laughs> um, but I liked it. Tony Collette and Drew Barrymore were really appealing, and you felt like Tony Collette's character gets cancer, and it was a, one of those movies that was kind of like Beaches where... Clearly, one friend is more narcissistic, is more takes up more of the oxygen in the friendship, and the other one is sort of squeezing in in the margins a little bit. And yet, it sort of works. Mm -hmm. But um, it was it was interesting to see that dynamic played out through these situations. And there was a good supporting cast and some cool music. And they sang an REM song in a cab that I thought was memorable. And what song? 
Do you remember? I think it was Losing My Religion. Okay. Oh, life is yeah. bitter, yeah. bitter. You know, and I just liked, and I saw, um, sh- what was that shitty Christmas movie? Krampus? Yeah. With Tony Collette? Uh-huh. And I just hated, I was, I just thought that movie sucked so bad. It did. God, it was horrible. And I just felt like I, I was watching her in it, hating it and her. And I was like, okay, I did see you recently in something I liked. Well, so. I've, I've got to catch Miss You already because I wasn't able to see it. During it may that. be horrible. Well, but I just saw it and I just thought, why is this movie being treated like a dog turd? Like it, yeah. it really got no press. I know. And I you like Catherine like Hardwick. I like yeah, her work. I thought and it was well directed. Our friend Philip Bartell edited that. I thought he and did a great job. I don't understand why it was so... It, it got that release of like a movie that everyone knows is just awful, and it wasn't. I enjoyed it. Anyway. I, I have friends who saw it who liked it, but they hated Drew Barrymore in it and thought she was horrible. How, how do you weigh it on that? I like Drew Barrymore. Yeah. I don't think she's a great actress, but I think she's a good presence. You know, I I'm like a fan her. of hers. I love I her. like her. Yeah. I'm a fan. Um, and I believed her in this. I thought she was good. All right, my next uh, I'm really glad she won that Golden Globe for um, Grey Gardens. Yeah, she Because I thought she was fantastic in that. My next one will be uh, The Experimenter, an unsung film, uh, with uh, Peter Sarsgaard and Winona Ryder. Michael Almoreda directed, uh, which is um, based on the famous Milgram experiments. Which, oh, that one you were telling me about. Yeah. And so it was an experiment done by this uh, uh, researcher who wanted to see if people would inflict pain on another person. And it is a real tried and true standard on looking at clinical trials and the ethics of them. And it really played a major part in how we proceed from now, from based from then with experiments. Um, as far as is this manipulation? Is this are, are people aware of what they're consenting to? Is it ethical? And I uh, thought it, it's a very self-aware film. Uh, Sarsgaard speaks to the camera a lot. Uh, there's a lot of fantasy sequences in it. Um, I loved Winona Ryder in it. She's matured into this really compelling presence in this film. And it excited me. I, I, there there's actually two clinical trials movies of last year that are on my list, and that one uh, is just What's terrific. the other one? Well, no, we'll save well, because it. Because I think I'm thinking of this one when I should be thinking of the The next other one. one is the Stanford Prison Experiment. That's the one I was thinking about, yes. you were telling me about. Okay, yeah. so The Experimenter is another one. Okay. Yes, and uh, I, I thought they were both wonderful unsung films of the last year. Right. Uh, Experimenter is just... Uh, Michael Amoreda is a director who a lot of people will know for doing the modern-day version of Hamlet with Ethan Hawke. Okay. Uh, I actually worked on his very first film as a director called Twister, not the famous Bill Paxton and Helen Hunt one. This was from the mid-'80s, and uh, his career has been he very interesting. He's done like, these arty films like Nadia, and uh, he, he really likes to experiment with filmmaking in a way that I've admired for decades now. That's awesome. Did you see Winona Ryder in Show Me a Hero on HBO? I did not. The um, Oscar Isaac six-hour miniseries. I love that so much. How was she? She's good in it. Yeah, yeah, she's good in it. She's memorable in it. I love that miniseries yeah. so much. We I need more in it. We need more of her in films. Yeah, she was good. Um, but I highly recommend that. And I was happy he won the Golden Globe. And I do have a cartoon of him as Poe Dameron. And my moment With out of time. shirt opened and rippling. Yeah, you're, you're sexy. Sex. I love Poe Dameron. My moment out of time from the experimenter is Peter Sarsgaard is explaining things to the audience and walking, and this big elephant just walks by in the, the rear of the, behind him in frame. And it's basically a metaphor for the elephant in the room and what they're talking about. 
but it's just a really memorable image, and it's, that stuck with where me. Where is he? Then an elephant. He's in. He's by. in the the hallway of the uh, place where they're doing the experiments. But is it believable that there would be an elephant? No, there? not at all. It's just oh. it's surreal and strange. Okay. Because I thought, well, is he on a? You know, is he? Are they doing experiments? No, it's just trying to get you into the mindset of the the fancifulness of the film. Yeah. It's a little pretentious, but memorable. What was the? I guess it was the Italian movie um, that won the Oscar. Recently. Life is Beautiful? No. Oh. Uh, the Great Beauty. Great there Beauty. There was just that giraffe. Yeah. The, the giraffe. It's fun to see big animals on screen. That's the take home. It's the take home. <laughs> All right. My next unsung movie of the year, The Night Before, with Seth Rogen and Joseph Gordon-Levitt and Anthony Mackie. It was that comedy that came out about... Three pals hanging out on Christmas Eve. It's their tradition. And it began because one of them went through a horrible loss. And his friends sort of rallied around him at Christmas to, to sort of be there for him. And then they just kept doing it every year. And I laughed a lot. And I was really moved by it. I like movies about friends showing up for each other. They, they always get me. And, That's what um, makes me cry in movies. More than any other theme. Yeah. I'll cry at that for sure. Um, and I laughed a lot. And I... I I, it was Evan Goldberg and Seth Rogen. I like their movies. I think they're funny and smart, and uh, I always enjoy, I enjoyed the interview um, and uh, the one with the sinkhole. What was that called? This the is world, the end. This is the end. Um, and I like this movie. I'm surprised it didn't do well. Didn't do better. I think. I hope it'll be a movie that people watch at the holidays. Christmas theme movies tend to be perennial. Yeah. So there might be some life in it. Because I don't feel like Love Actually was a big hit when it came out. I mean, I think it did okay, but, but people it's, just go nuts over it now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I I made the mistake of seeing that movie with somebody who I was in love with, who wasn't in love with me, and I already knew it. We had already established that. Want to go see Love Actually? Yeah, good choice, Dennis. That was not smart. <laughs> <laughs> okay, my next unsung film again. So is this a moment out of time or an unsung film? Well, they're they're both. They're I'm gonna I'm gonna provide both. This is I two for one. I know. I like it. It's um, good. So the this stamp- is coming together. <laughs> <laughs> like just we're pulling it out this of our podcast asses. Podcast magic. Yeah, uh, the Stanford Prison Experiment. So okay. the second clinical trial film. Yes. Um, another hugely influential uh, film in the canon of clinical trials and ethics. Uh, Kyle Patrick Alvarez, who I, we both know, uh, directed this, and it's met him. it's it's a terrifically directed film in a small enclosed space and. Any director who can prove that they can take a claustrophobic setting and turn it into something compelling to watch uh, gets a gold star. Like in Room. Like Room, like Stanford Prison Experiment, like Cujo. All takes place in a car. Oh, I you know. hated that dog. Well, yeah, but well, you're supposed I guess to. I meant to. <laughs> uh, so this one uh, takes, uh, it's set in the 1970s, and it's right. a bunch of college students who are paid to either be prisoners or guards in a setup situation just to see how long it would take for things to become contentious. Wow. And it becomes contentious real fast, the power plays that go on. And the standout for me in this stellar young cast of actors who you've seen in a lot of things and you'll just recognize them all as you watch it is uh, Michael um, Angarano, who plays one of the guards. And he's this little kind of innocent, sweet little young college student who becomes nicknamed John Wayne because he turns sadistic in a heartbeat in this film. Well, isn't that what kind of what it's about? Is how quickly will people go there? Or yeah. How, yeah. Or, or will they? Yeah. I mean, both are both films. The experimenter in this are about like how quick we are to inflict pain on somebody else, and this gets ugly really quick. And his joy at being so sadistic 
becomes so compelling to look at and watch. He's so good in the film. And then as you know, later on in the film, and some of, so much of the script was written from transcripts because they have a lot of the footage still that they're right. able to watch. And you know, what you see in the aftermath of who these people were after the experiment, they're just kind of like normal people that you would like. And yeah. yet you see that everybody has the potential to uh, have a dark side and go there fast. And we've seen that in the aftermath of hurricanes where things get medieval real quick. Right. And this film really illustrates that in a really artful, compelling, fun, sick way. What year was that when they the, did it? The, uh, they 1970s. Did, it was in the 70s. Yeah. It wasn't like the 90s. No. Okay. And so uh, my moment out of time is just his transformation to where it becomes drunk with power. Yeah. Love it. All right. Well, I have to have a double feature, experiment or double feature. Maybe the new Beverly will have that as a, a that would be a night. good one. Yeah. Um, my next unsung movie, and I don't think it's even come out yet officially, is my, my favorite movie that I saw in the Gay Film Festival circuit. It was called Those People, um, and it was a story about. Imagine if Bernie Madoff had a gay son who was like twenty one, twenty two. So the dad's gone to prison. Everyone hates him. Everyone hates the kid even though he's just the kid, but he's sort of a cocksure rich boy trying to deal with being, um, you know, ostracized and the fallout on his family. And he's got uh, a friend who's in love with him, a longtime friend who's in love with him. And it's just about their relationship. And I thought, I thought it was dramatic and and looked expensive, even though it probably cost two dollars. And um, I was it was I was like really impressed with it. So those people keep an eye out. I hope it gets a, a big release if it hasn't already, at least on Netflix or or whatever that is. Cool. Yeah. My next one is the Wrecking Crew. It's a I have that on DVD. I haven't watched it yet. Um, a friend of mine, Denny Tedesco, made this. Okay. And over a period of. Close to two decades he right. worked on this. His father was in this group called The Wrecking Crew, session uh, musicians who have played on every hit song you've ever heard in the 60s, 70s, and 80s. Right. Uh, I mean, you name it, they played on it. Undercover Angel by Alan O'Day? Could be. Maybe. I don't know. But, okay. I mean, we're talking about famous tracks by the Mamas and the Papas, the right. Beach Boys, on and on. Like, a lot of those bands did not actually play their instruments on those songs. It was The Wrecking Crew. These seasoned professionals who were just masters at... You mean Chris Partridge didn't play the drums? Well, I don't want to burst your bubble, so let's just say he did. Okay. Uh, but uh, uh, And this film traces uh, the artistry of this group. It's a great, loving homage to these people. And his father died while he was making the film. Oh, wow. And so you see a lot of Denny, uh, Denny's father in this film, who was kind of the leader of the group held it together. And you had people like Glenn Campbell who broke off from it and had these great solo careers. So Glenn Campbell was a part of the crew. He was part of the Wrecking Crew. And you, you, you appreciate Glenn Campbell more as this musical genius that, you know, blossomed as a solo artist, but really you know, also made a mark as a great studio musician. And you see their struggles and their joy at just playing music. You know, there's this female bass player as part of the Wrecking Crew. And she does the bass line to... Uh, the Beat Goes On, Sonny and Cher's classic hit. And she kind of shows you how it evolved with her, that she was given this line, and then she played it, and she made it her own, and she shows you the entire origins of it. Oh, that's and cool. And you just, you just want to be with that woman forever, watching her make music. And Was it, that your moment out of time from that moment? It is, yeah. It's just a joyous celebration. Uh, it's heartbreaking as well. 
and it's a terrific film. It's also on Netflix now. Awesome. Well, I have a DVD, and I haven't watched it yet. Um, next up, The Gift with uh, Joel Edgerton, who directed it, and I think he wrote it, too, and Jason Bateman, and I forget the name of the actress. Did you see that movie? It was kind of a thriller that came I out in the summer. Yeah. I just thought it was creepy and kind of cool, and uh, I liked that it, it ultimately looked at what happens to bullies when they grow up. Who do they turn into? Well, it's a great like film. Schoolyard Billies. It's a disguised villain too, which I yes, liked so much. I, I thought it was surprising. I didn't yeah. see where it was going. Yeah, and it goes somewhere original. I wish it had a higher body count and more of a third act crazy flourish to it. Yeah, it doesn't. It's it's very sound and it's really consistent with what it's doing. I think it's an impressive directing debut for yeah. Joel Edgerton as well, and he's great in the role. Uh, it's one of those movies where you see the trailer. It looks like a kind of pulpy genre movie. And you're From like, the 90s. Why is Jason Bateman in this in this movie? Because it's not the kind of movie he normally does. And then when you see it, you go, oh, that's why he's in it. It's really interesting. Yeah. He gets to play with his, you know, uh, golden boy image. Yeah. And I like that. And, and I thought it was really well directed. I thought it was great comic yeah. card. And for me, yeah. though, it was missing. The, the problem with this is they set up Rebecca Hall, who's his wife. That's the actress, yeah. They set her up, and I love her. I think she's a terrific actor. Uh, they set her up as having this problem. Oh, and yeah. it never comes to fruition. And it's like, why set that up if we don't get to see her act on it? Yeah. And it was, to, to me, it was just one of those. A missed opportunity. Oh, yeah, like we're in a writing group together. Those were the notes I would have given yeah. that script. All right. All right, my next one, it's not unsung, it's not uncelebrated, but I can't right. talk enough about it, which is Tangerine. Oh, yes. Uh, which is also on Netflix, so you all have the opportunity to, right. to, to watch this right now if you want. Uh, Tangerine, which is famously shot on an iPhone. Yes. Um, is the story of two transgendered uh, uh, prostitutes who, on Christmas Eve, one of them gets out of jail and discovers that her boyfriend, who's also her pimp, has been cheating on her. And so they spend the entire movie in real time just strutting through the streets of hot Christmas Eve Los Angeles, sunny, you know, it's a very sunburnt film, uh, trying to find him an exact revenge on him and, like, you know, throw shade at him. And one of the two splits off because, like, I'm not having this. I don't want all this drama. Yet they all come together, and there's also a story of this mishappened cab driver. And it's just such a great portrait of the Los Angeles that's a mile down my street mm-hmm. uh, of how that feels, the the energy of it. It's it's propulsive. And it comes to this beautiful ending, which is my moment out of time, is the last scene in the film, which illustrates what real friendship really is and how that looks. And I won't give it that away. Just watch the film. I and you'll saw see. it, and I'm trying to remember what what happens. It's between the two it's people. To the two of them, they're in a yeah. laundromat, and I'll say no more about yeah. that. But uh, it's just this wonderful moment. Oh, it's something. Yes. So okay. it, it has to do with hair. It has to do with hair. <laughs> I love the cab driver story in that. I think of that movie every time I drive by that donut um, at place. Santa Monica and Highland. Yes, yeah. and it's such a shithole. And you look at it, and it's like the colors aren't that interesting. The the building behind it's not that interesting, and yet they made this vibrant, beautiful, visual movie there. Yeah, and it's iconic because that is where these characters do hang out. You yeah. know, the, the, what this movie is about is real, and that's where they do congregate. It's one of those movies that when you see it, you want to read about it and how it was made and stuff, and it was shot on an iPhone. 
But I thought, when I heard that, I thought, oh, it's some first-time filmmaker. But it's actually somebody that's been making movies for yeah, quite a while. Yeah, and this is really accomplished. And it's, uh, you know, with all the controversy about people of color not getting Oscar nominations, yeah. this is kind of the focal point for that. Because the performances in this by our leads are great. Yeah. And uh, there's a scene at Hamburger Mary's where one of them sings. Yeah. And does a really good job. Yeah, and, the, you know, the Hamburger Mary's sequence is... You know, telegraphed over and over and over again. Come on, you know, trying to get everybody yeah. to go to Hamburger Mary's. So you know you're in for something special when that happens, and it delivers. It does deliver. Um, but, you know, she's a girl with a flyer. She's a girl <laughs> with a flyer. Aren't we all? Um, you know, t- as, a gr- as a fellow girl with a flyer, who have, <laughs> I've been a girl with a flyer many times in my life. I think you're a girl with a flyer still. I don't know. I haven't had a flyer in a long time. <laughs> you're due. I'm due for something that I make a flyer for, and I go to Kinko's. <laughs> yep. I'll go to Kinko's, and they're like, you're back. We thought you died. I look forward to your next flyer. Oh, you and me both. <laughs> um, there was a movie. This is so... Maybe it's horrible. But I saw a movie called The, the Rewrite with Hugh Grant and Marissa Tomei. They showed it at the Writers Guild, and now it's like on... You know, you might see it on an airplane, but it's an old-fashioned romantic comedy. He's like a, a screenwriter who goes to uh, teach in some college and meets people, and it's it's very much rom-com, you know, uh, template. But I enjoyed watching it. Maybe it was just nostalgia when they used to make movies like that. Um, but I did like watching it. I would watch it again, maybe, if I was on a plane or something. I missed that one, unfortunately. Yeah. It's around. It's around. My next unsung film, yeah. I don't know how unsung it was, but um, was Tig, the documentary about yeah. comedian Tig Notaro. Right. Which aired on Netflix. Uh, and I saw it at Outfest, which was the opening night film. Yes. And uh, I thought, first of all, she's my favorite stand-up comedian. Okay. I think she's got such a dynamic unapologetic presence right and she has amazing dry timing where she knows how to work with silence yeah she meant she sit in it a little bit yeah and i love that if she makes you uncomfortable in mm-hmm. a delicious way yeah and this film which traces her battles with cancer her desire to be in a relationship to have a child and it is heartbreaking stuff and yet it's so life-affirming at the same time it never gets mushy. It's her her reaction to bad news, which is my moment out of time, is what you stuck see. With you. You well, see normally it. in movies like this, you hear them talk about it later, but you see it happen. Yeah, big kudos to the directors of this film. One of whom is a friend of ours, Jen Arnold, who just were there for it and just captured this moment that yeah. really I think is, you know, sometimes people don't realize that movies influence their lives. Yeah. Sometimes they dismiss them as just little things in the moment that it's they enjoy. Movie. But how you react to bad news is something, you know, watching her do that, it makes you kind of rethink how you react to bad news in your own life. And that's something that is really powerful and uh, will stick with me. Yeah, I and mean, maybe the next time you're in a situation like that, you'll try to be more ticket. Yeah, I mean, next time they, they, they run out of McNuggets. Right. I won't go losing it at the drive through like that film from last year. You know, oh, I love that movie. That, I love that part of that movie. What, it was the, the opening night Outfest movie. Yes. It was What's-Her-Face. Yeah, it was about... E- Leighton Meester. Right, it was Best Friends. Yes, it was called... It had some title about BFFs or... Uh, yeah, I'm getting it for you. Single friends. Uh, it is called. Drum roll, please. 
It's called Life Partners. Life Partners. Anyway, that drive-through scene. I had a moment today. I was running late, and there was a, I was stopped at a light, and it turned green, and then the car in front of me wasn't going, and then an ambulance drove by. So clearly they were waiting for the ambulance. And I decided that instead of being annoyed and like, ugh, I was going to send a little bit of love to whoever's at the other end of that ambulance. That's human thing, right? To do. Aren't you, that's a profound shift to make. Yeah. What have you done with Dennis? Who are you? I don't know. But I was <laughs> like, instead of being annoyed about how I'm late going to be later now, I'm going to be like, you know what? I'm much better off than whoever is getting waiting for that fucking ambulance. <laughs> so I'm going to send them a little love and lo- love and light, as Mariah might say. Okay. Um, okay. I... Uh, an unsung tan movie for me is Magic Mike XXL. And we saw that together, did we not? Yes, we did. July. We had different reactions to it. I loved it so much. I wanted to live in that movie. I, and I think I figured out why. It's because I feel like everyone in that movie was safe. From ridicule to be who they were. I mean, it was fun to watch the guys hang out and they're sexy and, and whatever. Yes, and they strip and they dance or whatever, but I liked, there was this, the movie had a spirit to it that I hadn't experienced on the big screen in a long time, where sexuality was sort of front and center, but everyone's was okay. There was, like, if there was a scene where there were some larger women enjoying, you know, somebody's sexy dancing, and that was totally okay. They were, they weren't. Nothing was made of that, but it wasn't also sort of like, I don't know, I just felt like it had a spirit that was inclusive. I'll give you that, but my problem with it, I studied journalism before I studied film, Right. and one of the no-nos in journalism was, was to write an article about an event and say, they all laughed and had a good time. Like, it means nothing. It's like saying, I ate soup. And uh, this film is the living embodiment of they all laughed and had a good time. There's no conflict. They just enjoy each other. That's exactly why I liked it. <laughs> I liked that there was no evil stripper competitors. or There were no antagonists. To me, the antagonists were... You felt like all of them didn't have a lot else going on. One of them was going to maybe try to start a yogurt truck or something. And, and, and Channing Tatum's business wasn't doing that well. And yeah, I was I, on the edge of my seat during and, that yogurt conflict. Yes, but all of them... <laughs> All of them are like, what the fuck am I going to do with my life? And maybe I relate to that question. But for a weekend, they can hang out and be friends and and do a silly little thing and, and have some joy. Because well, things are not going the way they thought they would or, or they don't know what the hell else they're going to do. The, right. You know, and I connected with that. Well, and that to me felt like enough of a conflict. Even though it didn't you know, rock my world like it did right. yours. It still made my moments out of time because of Joe Manganello trying to get the cashier in the convenience store to smile by doing his dance, which yes. I think is going to be on that dance clip of great dance numbers of all time, like with Footloose and Flashdance and West Side Story, that it's a great, amazingly joyous, hilarious, sexy, funny dance number. And before I saw the movie, I'd heard that scene described. There's a grumpy girl in a convenience store He's going to do a dance to try to make her smile. Mm-hmm. Okay. I know what's going to happen, so I'm not that interested. They found the perfect girl. The girl that played it was perfect. 
they shot it in the perfect way. And I think what moved me the most about it is the way the other guys were rooting for him. Like, the, their camaraderie, you know, there's a lot said about, they talk about, oh, we had so much fun hanging out, and we got along really well, or whatever. But that spirit, I felt included in that. Whereas sometimes with George Clooney in the Ocean Eleven movies, where you know it's just one prank after another, yeah. you don't feel like you're included. Like, I, if you walked onto that set, they'd be like, um, why are you, why are you here? I like to think that Sofia Vergara makes Joe Manganiello do that number for her at home. I hope so. Yeah. That's, that's my fan fiction. And you know that really, I don't remember his name, but he's like older and he's not sexy at all, but he's like been in the... the big wrestler guy? Yes, and he's... Even he had a, a moment at the end where he was sort of given his due in a way. Like he was, he wasn't the butt of jokes. I mean, they sort of owned up the fact that Chan Tatum didn't know his name or something. <laughs> but I don't know. There was a spirit of the movie that, that really... Um, moved and excited me and I thought was rare. Like, okay. I, I can't remember the last movie that made me feel that way, where sex was an element of it. Alright, I'm not going to raining men on your parade. I know, don't raining men on my parade. <laughs> I, 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 I watched part of it on the ship and I was just like, I just want to live in this movie. I want to live in this world. Okay. Anyways. My next, it's not really an unsung film because it hasn't yeah. been released here yet and it right. is sung because it's an Academy Award nominee yes. for Best Foreign Film which is Son of Saul. Oh, right. Um, hasn't it opened yet? No, it hasn't, but, okay. you know, it's coming out soon. It's a nominee. It's yeah. great. Um, and, you know, this is a Holocaust story that you haven't seen yet, which is, uh, and there have been plenty of films about the Holocaust, but this one is told in extreme close-up on our main character, um, either from behind him or in front of him. Everything else is in soft, shallow focus. Everything that happens on the sidelines, you have to kind of piece together and figure out. But it's a guy, a Jew, working in the concentration camps, helping to incinerate bodies, collect their possessions, and he finds a dead young boy who he claims is his son and wants to give him a proper burial at risk of everything. And so you just follow him in real time throughout this film as he tries to accomplish that task. And there were a couple of moments that just will always stick with me in this, what I think is a masterpiece of a film, and that is... a. A Nazi walks by him as he's going about his task, and he just stops what he's doing, takes off his hat, and stands at attention really fast. And it's in the opening scene, and it sucks you right into the mindset of this film right away. And then there's another scene where the, our main character smiles, and you have to read so much into that smile because mm -hmm. it is filled with such gloom, doom, and hope all at once. And you, um, it makes you really, really think about... Uh, what you were watching, and you kind of feel like you were there. Like, more than any other film about this period of time, I really felt like I experienced it. I, uh, I agree with that. Um, what I liked about it was the, the, you saw the mundane, the, what they did physically. They went to a room like this and did this, and then they went over there and did that. And that's how they passed their days, and that was what this horror was like. In, in other yeah. words, they... The, and 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 his task and his goal in this is his one thing that can help lift him some kind of spiritual need that he right. feels like it's his way of keeping his humanity. Yeah. I mean, um, it never stops moving, and a lot of critics have called it Holocaust the video game, which I think yeah. is an unfair assessment of it. It It's relentless, and so, you know, you, you apply today's technology to it, and you're going to come up with something smarmy. Well, and I think a lot of movies from that time or whatever have a sepia tinge to them. Like, even Schindler's List, all in black and white. So it feels... doesn't feel immediate. It's a safe distance from the viewer. This felt more immediate. Yes. And, um... 
What I liked about it is the chaos of it. Because there are certain things that happen that don't pay off or lead anywhere or whatever. And I felt like as storytelling, it just captured the chaos of... of, of um, not everything paid off. Not everything was set up. Not everything... You know, there was there's a something that happens that really kind of derails his goal and it's not made a moment. It just happens. It just happens. Mm-hmm. And you're like, but, 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 but wait, that's our whole thing. And they're like, no, it just happened. And that to me was like, uh, that's, that, that's maybe the chaos of what that, that's the chaos of life in general, but also it's a chaos, you know, times a million in a place like that. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, it, that that movie will stay with me as well. What's up next for you? Uh, and I don't. I, I did all my unsung tens. I wrote down movies that I really liked, but they that had gotten a lot of attention. I love Mad Max. Uh, I like. What's the, your What's your moment out of time for Mad Max? I think those crazy things that swung in That's the. That's what I have. Yeah, yes. yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, so yeah, talk about your Mad Max moment out of time because well, you probably know what they're called. Well, I don't know what they're called, but uh, so you know, this movie is one big chase sequence, right? Masterfully done. Uh, and, you know, there are people chasing our heroes who are on these giant swinging bendable sticks. Right. And they're, you know, they swoop down over the cars. And it's such a great chaotic image that you you feel the danger of it. And it's, uh, uh, it's just spectacular. It, it, it's a spectacular image in the film. And you haven't really seen that as a weapon or whatever. Because in a lot of movies, they have futuristic guns or things. But they're guns. That still yeah. looks like a gun. It, they shoot it. This is more like, what the fuck Yeah, it's like human, human catapults or human stilts or something. <laughs> yeah, you hadn't seen it before. Yeah. And then to see them move and, and be so expertly um, choreographed and shot and it's incredible yeah and just also what i'll take home from that is just the badass expression on Charlize theron's face throughout this film yeah i mean she's like up there with ripley from alien as yes. far as great strong female heroes action heroes in a film and uh i think she's a bit unsung for this performance i feel like it too i yeah. feel like yes it's so audacious i need to see it again i've only seen it once and i really want to see it again um i like spy a lot Mm-hmm. Um, I thought Great was, script. I thought it was really funny, but I also felt like the spy story sort of worked, and there were action scenes that the, were shot way better than you expect the for fight a comedy. Scene in the kitchen, amazing yeah. with the pan, and like I was like, oh fuck, that's really. It goes on and on, and it's shot really well, and the stunts are, you know, it's it's the action is better than it needed to be. Right in the first act, I could have watched her and Jude Law talk on the phone yeah. the entire movie. Their, their repartee was great. It was sparky. It was yeah. fun. And then there's these great subversive lines in the movie like when Filthy she says... Filthy lines. Oh, filthy oh, dialogue. Well, Rose Byrne has a lot of those yeah. and she carries the, the, the weight beautifully in that film. But I thought Melissa McCarthy when she's, you know, she's our drab spy who wants to be a glamorous spy mm, yeah. and she's all done up, you know, in you know, basically, you know, uh, MC Hammer pants and yeah. a horrible jacket and a, 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 a what are they called? Uh, the little pouch that you wear. Fanny uh, pack. Fanny pack. And so she says she looks like somebody's homophobic aunt. Yeah. And I just thought that is such a well-realized line. Yeah. And I, I'd been to Budapest while they were shooting it. I got to visit my friend Tom Ford and did a podcast over there. And so it was fun to see Budapest, which I was one of my favorite cities I've ever been to, sort of in a lot of those scenes. Um, that was cool. Another moment out of time for me is Creed, which I also think 
was I robbed that of down a, as my. It's not my unsung ten, but it was one of my favorite movies. I think it's robbed of a Best Picture nomination, and um, I think you know uh, Michael Jordan's lead performance was robbed. Uh, yeah. If you're looking at you know things that didn't get nominated that should have been, that's I think two two instances. And for me, the moment out of time in that film is that single sh- shot fight sequence in the middle of the film that. Uh, you know, the, a lot of people are saying this is the best film since the first Rocky. I think it's better filmmaking than the first Rocky, though. And I still agree it's probably number two as far as in the Rocky canon. Uh, canon but uh, I just was so emotionally swept up in it. The nostalgia you feel for the Rocky character and where he is in this film is heart-wrenching and so well re- played by Sylvester Stallone that I, I just went with the cornball of it all and really just fell for it. I want him to win. Sylvester Stallone, because I had heard, you know, you hear he's good in it, and then the first few scenes, it's they're sort of conversational, and you know, they, and I thought even in those, he's so good in the early scenes where it's not super dramatic, he's just kind of reflecting on his life, and he's got this weather-beaten sort of soulful thing going on. It's a lived-in performance, I, and I'm like, if this is the only thing we get from him in this movie, I still want to give him an award. <laughs> I'm so into it. But then it and gets then it keeps more going dramatic. And, yeah, and you know that they're going to have the steps in the movie, and the wh- and the way they have the steps in the movie is so satisfying. Yes, um, I cried my eyes out. I cried. I thought it was rousing, and you know, I the, one of my least favorite movies of the year was Southpaw. I just didn't care. I wasn't into it. I wanted to like it. I like those actors. I couldn't care less. Yeah. And I was like, maybe it's just boxing. And I'm like, no, because I went with Creed all the way along. And yeah. when he's in the ring and there's like this great line, and I don't want to give it away, but they're like, well, you know, he's got to prove something. And when he says it out loud, you're like, huh. Do you remember what I'm talking about? Yeah. I just thought that was incredible. <laughs> And he's yummy, and there, I, the, for me, the moment out of time from that movie was where there, he's training, and all of these sort of motorcycles and stuff are sort of swarming around him. Yeah. Because they, they felt like the neighbor kids, that kind of this gang, but it just felt so specific that it felt, it was so random and, and specific that it felt like the truth. Yeah, they're popping wheelies. I, there must be a gang around there. Yeah. It, must, it felt like it was something that was inspired by something that he had seen in real life. Because I don't think you would just think of that. Well, it's people rallying for somebody else, which is what your go-to for crying yeah. is. Yeah, oh, God. And there's I a generosity of spirit to that sequence. Yes. And that also made my moments out of time, that, that sequence as well, because I loved it, that in Creed. Yeah, because uh, you kind of, believe, like, it seemed random, like, what's happening? And then it was sort of poetically done and really committed to. It's visually memorable. Yeah. It has an emotional punchline that, of where it leads, where yeah. they're running towards, that I loved. I love the female lead in it. I just, I thought it worked so well. I thought it was great. Yeah. Um, let me see what, these are other movies that I liked, but that have gotten a lot of uh, buzz. I really enjoyed The Martian. I saw it twice. Yeah. And I just went with it. I laughed. I cried. Terrific comedy. Terrific comedy. Hilarious. But the truth is, you know what? <laughs> Matt Damon, when he delivered a line that was supposed to be funny, it was fucking hilarious. Yeah. But I mean, it's hilarious that he won Best oh, Comic. Yeah. Ridiculous. And, and won the Best Comedy uh, you know, uh, our friend Danny and I were talking about how we think next year at the Golden Globes, a comedy that wasn't funny should win Best Drama. Yeah, for yeah, because sure. it's just absurd. But I mean, it's 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 a terrific film that did not belong in that category. I went to a Q and A with the screenwriter who I really liked, loved hearing, and he talked about how there was no antagonist really. There's no bad government person on a telephone, you know, and and even the Jeff Daniels character isn't like a villain or anything. He's somebody's 
trying to do a very complicated job, and that they met maybe not a lot of resistance, but when the script was first going around, you know, everyone that's used to reading a lot of scripts is like, well, who's your antagonist? And they're like, well, it's just the situation. He's I think trapped on Mars. The lack of air is the antagonist. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And and it was something that people that read a lot of scripts maybe aren't used to, but it was something that they felt was right and they stuck to their guns. And one of the reasons also was that he said was that if he, if they kind of tried to amp that up in a way that didn't quite feel believable, they wouldn't get as good of an actor as, as Jeff Daniels. Like you needed, you needed to make that role at least something that felt give real, them layers, yeah, real and believable or whatever. If you want to attract an actor of that caliber, I agree. I thought that was interesting. Bridge of Spies was another for me, t- fantastic film that got dismissed as being old school. Yeah, and yet it's old school in the best way. It's such you you watch Spielberg at the top of his game. Knowing where to put the camera, knowing how to deliver a terrific sequence such as the opening subway chase. Uh, But for me, the moment out of time for that film, and I think Stallone has a stiff competition in his category with Mark Rylance, who plays the spy, uh, who in a nearly wordless performance is great. Uh, But uh, the sequence where you see the Berlin Wall being erected. Because uh, we're always seeing stuff about it coming down, mm-hmm. but to actually see the origins of it and the panic that ensued and the executions that happened uh, as this wall is going up, to me was just devastating and really memorable, uh, great piece of filmmaking uh, during that, that whole sequence. I liked the dry wit in that movie. Like, there would be some lines, like, there's a recurring bit where, uh, aren't you worried, would it help? Right. Mark Rylance says, yeah, would it help a lot. It's there great. Was a, there was a sort of dryness to the wit, and I got to see a Q&A with the writer, and he talked about that, um, that stuff in it. Yeah, it, it's the professionalism. I remember looking at the snow, and I'm like, I bet that's the best snow money can buy. <laughs> you know what? It's the best movie snow you're ever going to get, you know? Well, here, here's... Um, oh, it's your turn. Um, I liked Room mm-hmm. very much. Mm-hmm. Uh, some people don't like it. They think it's overrated. Um, I don't think it's a big secret because people know it's divided into half and they're trapped in the room and then they're out. And the moment where they get out or that sequence where things change, because you've been trapped in that room with them for so long, you think it's going to be very cathartic. You think it's going to be, it's going to feel so good. You know it's coming. It's Everyone knows that that's going to happen. And the way it's shot, it's so chaotic in the way that Sansal is and also sort of real and it doesn't quite it's not oh he's running and he gets enveloped it doesn't give you any of that satisfaction that you think you have coming and you're like oh shit I bet that's kind of what it would be like it would feel like that it, it just felt it, it felt artful and, and deliberate in its uh, unwillingness to give you that <sighs> Well, it's everything's going to be in a, It's all told from the point of view of this little child who doesn't... Ha- he's not invested in the way the audience is in yeah. his own story. He's got a whole different point of view on his own story. And so it stays true to how he's feeling. Yes. Which is upends the expectations of the audience watching it. Yeah. And I thought that's what the movie nailed. Yeah. I thought it was, I thought it was really good in that way. My that kid was amazing. Jacob Tremblay. Yeah, Holy he's shit. terrific. Yeah. Um, and, and should have been nominated yeah. for that role. Yeah. Uh, and another moment out of time for me um, was something that I'm glad got rewarded with an Oscar nomination because I didn't expect it to happen was Rachel McAdams in Spotlight. Yeah. Now, Spotlight, I think, is kind of an artless film. It's compelling. It's really well told. You just watch journalism, journalists being journalists. Yeah. And the methodical 
inch-by-inch process to uncover this scandal. Uh, But there's an incredible scene where Rachel McAdams confronts a priest at his doorstep. And uh, they have this conversation that is all about sexual abuse. And without saying anything, Rachel McAdams is listening in that scene and reacting to what she's hearing. And to me, it's the best scene in the film. And I think why she got an Oscar nomination for it is watching an actor at their best just reacting to something, Mm -hmm. to me, can be more memorable than a monologue. Well, and reacting to something so kind of unexpected and shocking and disturbing. Yes. And... As a journalist that's trying to cover it, delicious. Like, holy I'm sure she's thinking, I'm grossed out and Pulitzer at the same time. All of that (laughs) stuff. And what I liked about her the most, I saw it twice, is she took the most notes. Because as a journalist, you know, I'm like, there's there's so many movies where people play interviewers. Like, Amy Schumer was a fucking horrible journalist in Trainwreck. (laughs) That scene with Bill Hader when she's acting like, you know, the Orlando Blooms. I mean, it's funny. But she was, I I never, she never seemed like a very good entertainment magazine writer, journalist. I don't know if she had a tape recorder. I don't know. But Rachel McAdams, when something would happen, she was like writing, 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 writing. And and like Ruffalo would write. And a lot of them would write, but not like McAdams. McAdams was getting that shit down. And I was really impressed with her note taking. They felt like real journalists. Whereas, yeah, I mean, I never even thought of Amy Schumer as a journalist in Trainwreck because it's such a glorified version of one. Yeah. She might be somebody who does ten, top ten lists on BuzzFeed. Or whatever. Yeah. Yeah, but she never seemed like a credible journalist. But I me. still love that movie. It was fun. Um, I think, you know, if there's a moment out of time for Trainwreck for me, aside from the Billy Joel Uptown Girl dance number, which some people hate because she descends into rom-com territory too much. It's fine. What uh, made that scene work for me is his reaction. His reaction was so nuanced and poignant and sweet and everything that it worked. My moment of the time is the opening scene with Colin Quinn explaining that monogamy is not realistic to his two daughters. It felt like the opening of Terms of Endearment, which was the opening was uh, the little girl is has the croup and she's coughing and. Shirley MacLaine walks into the room and just shakes her baby, hoping that that's going to help with her cough. Yeah. And it's just like this little slice of life that I thought felt real. Uh, I love when parents teach their children the wrong thing. Right. And that's what that felt like, like a misguided but sincere attempt. And it was funny. And it stayed with her. It shaped her. It, it became who... The, she became the train wreck she was always She's, destined to she be. She became the train wreck she was always destined to be. Those are all my movies, even my other ones. Do you have any more... Uns- uh, Moments at a time that we didn't talk about? Well, I mean, yeah, there's tons. And, you know, I encourage you to read them on Tumblr. Yeah. But I mean, if I'm going to just throw one more out throw there. Throw a few out, whatever. Um, well, I would say that... Uh, I like the bait. Like, you have to read the rest. Go to Tumblr. Glenn yeah. on film. Yeah. 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 Okay. And, 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 like, send me some money at the same yeah, time if exactly. you want. Exactly. You, know, you, t- you need a virtual tip jar. Yeah, go crazy. Yeah, but, I'm uh, going to teach you how to do a virtual tip jar. Uh, this, this might be worth it then. <laughs> Um, so uh, Carol had a moment out of time for me, aside from the Kyle Chandler scenes, which right. was just Rooney Mara's Zoe Deschanel-like expression in the uh, store, the department store where she meets Carol. Right. Uh, she just has this alien look on her face where she just doesn't know what to do. 
either because she's stymied by her attraction to her or she doesn't want to betray her attraction to her by showing anything. And I think she just, she, she made something really indelible and memorable in her reaction that sticks with me. Just that blank, weird, wide-eyed look on her face that doesn't look human. And I remember her more than, I, I remember being more compelled by her than Carol. Yeah, I mean, her I think Carol... her sort of less is moreness. Of yeah, it. I mean, Kate Blanchett has a blousy, swanning yes. through rooms performance. Yeah, and, and it's you know, gorgeous. And a fur coat. Yeah, and you know, she holds herself so regally throughout it. Uh, and but yeah, Rooney Mara does do some great work in that film. Yeah. Um, and then my other would be from The Revenant, which is a film I never want to see again. I think it's masterfully done, uh, but it, it's kind of like the. You know, Wild West version of Passion mm. of the Christ, where you just watch someone get tortured mm. for hours. Right. Uh, but there's a scene where he's on horseback and he goes headlong over a cliff. That right. you know, you know, forget about the famous bear sequence. I thought that was crazy thrilling. And you know right. what happens in it, and then what his response is to you know landing on the ground with this horse, and what he does after that. That I felt cold watching the movie. I was shivering, and I felt every moment of his pain. And, you know, good luck, Revenant. I never want to watch you again. Right. <laughs> I haven't seen it yet, and I'm going... I'm, I need to see it. Um, would you... You're, 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 they're talking about that for Best Picture or Spotlight. Right. But now Big Short's sort of making a surge. I don't think Big Short's going to surge to the top of those two. Well, it won the Producers Guild, which yeah. is interesting. I, I, I mean, Big Short is fine, but I don't think it's best picture material. Which one of those three would you want? Um, if I had to choose, gun to my head, I would say Spotlight. Yeah. Um, I do think Revenant has a really good chance because of the current political climate, you know, giving the best picture award two years in a row to a, you know, minority filmmaker. Right. Is something that I, I don't think is the way to vote, but that's how it may turn out. Right. Uh, I think that Spotlight is a much uh, more um, urgently told film and right. is something that is, you know, became earth shattering, literally earth shattering, you know, that, uh, you know, the repercussions of what was uncovered in that story, you know, happened all over the world. And yeah. I like that about it. Uh, it's certainly not my favorite film of the world. Like I said, I had more fun watching Green Inferno. Yeah. Well, also Spotlight plays like Argo, which played really well on TV. Like I saw it in the movies and then I watched it on video or whatever. And both times it was really, it played great. Yeah. You know, I haven't seen The Revenant yet, so I don't know. No, but, but I think if I'm, you're talking about sheer joy in a cinema, Green Inferno was a blast. Yeah. Mad Max was Amazing. I wouldn't be. I would kind of love Mad Max to win. Star Wars: The Force Awakens. Yeah. So much fun to watch. So much fun in a movie theater. And I. What's your moment out of time from Star Wars: The Force Awakens? Um, I would have to say that uh, um, a big moment out of time is just a tiny little moment where uh, BB-8 is alone in the desert and has to find his way. And it's nighttime, and he's just kind of rolling in his gyroscope, cute little way across a nighttime desert. And I just thought that captured something about like the 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 two moons, sun, the two the two suns setting in the original Star Wars. Just this feeling of isolation, and that you're kind of sitting there for a moment, resting on this planet, and you believed it. Well, I think my moment out of time for Star Wars would be BB-8 because he's something you haven't seen before, and yet he's practical. He works. He's charming as hell. He's got a lot of personality. But they also have a, one that you can buy that works the same way, that kind of feels like... It, it, it's, um, it, it's new and inventive, and yet it's something that 
they could have, you know, that somebody could have thought of 30 years ago and figured it out. You know? It's a great creation. There's something of- practical about it. There's something about, it's something like R2-D2 about it. Um, but less clunky. But less clunky. Yeah, yeah, yeah. sexier. Yeah. Kind of like, he reminds me of those old radio, the transistor radios that were very popular in the 70s. They had a chain on them that were round. They were kind of like him, but without the hat. Right. So, can we swear on this podcast? Yes. So, if we were playing Fuck, Mary Kill, and you have BB-8, oh, shit. R2-D2, and Poe, go. Fuck, oh, God. <laughs> um, oh, I don't want to kill any of them. <laughs> you I have I would, to. I would kill R2-D2 only because he's had a nice run. Yeah. Um, I oh, guess I would fuck BB-8 and I would marry Poe. Wow. With I, Poe, I would have switched those well, on you. But Poe, you get to fuck if you're married, right? Well, let's just Are say... Are you going to marry and not fuck? Well, that's what happens to people. I guess so. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Were you excited that Jennifer Jason Leigh got a nomination for yes. uh, Hateful Eight? Yes. She was pretty inspired in that movie. She's great. I know that a lot of people find it heavily misogynistic. I think that is kind of the point. Uh, you know, I mean, she really is put through the ringer in that film, but she's such an asshole of a character that she kind of has it coming. Well, but you kind of can't believe, like, she's so cool and audacious and shocking and inspired and... She's Reagan in The Exorcist. Yeah, when you, at the beginning, you think you know what you're going to get from that character through the whole movie, and and she brings so much more. I was like... she has that wonderful, lovely moment with Channing Tatum. Yeah. You know, right before a big moment happens that I thought... My friend Chan. There's a layer here that I like. Yeah. You know? All right. Um, Yeah, she, I think she is fantastic, and I think she should win the Oscar. I don't think she will. Yeah. I think... Kate Winslet is going to get it for, you know, Steve Jobs. Steve Jobs, which I wish I liked that movie more. I thought it felt like, it felt like sork any. It was Birdman 2.0 for me. It was not. I liked it. I wanted I liked to, and I love it. Fassbender. I wanted to love him. Yeah, I liked it enough. I mean, I think it's a solid film. Um, I do think Kate Winslet struggled with her accent, and that therefore does not deserve the Oscar. She, I wouldn't mind if Alicia Vikander got it. I thought, well, she, I and there's another should be at the top of my she list should. of moments out of time is the dance sequence in Ex Machina with Oscar Isaac. Oh, when which, he dances around, yeah. he's so sexy. And Talk wonderful. about indelible dance sequences. That should be added to the Joe Manganiello thing. Yeah, and I thought he should have got a supporting actor nod because he was so unique and sexy and wonderful in that. Well, let's course. just say he has a wonderful career ahead of him, yeah. and we should not worry. No, and he got a Golden Globe for Show Me a Hero. He's so good in it. Yeah. I need a hero. All right. So we're going to wrap it up. I'm not even going to do a So This Happened this week because, you know, whatevs. Uh, we'll do one another time. But thank you for listening. Follow Glenn's movie reviews uh, by going to... Glenn on Film and just, you know, Google Glenn on Film and Tumblr or just go to Glenn Gaylord, two N's in Glenn, dot Tumblr dot com. All right. And we'll see you at the movies. See what I did there? Yay. All right. Bye. <laughs>